Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. This is our first remote broadcast in accordance with social separation that we're all practicing and all learning to live with. Today, we split our program into two. Our first guest tells us about an amazing technology that his company has for scrubbing the air, for literally taking a room full of air and decontaminating it. And our second guest, Christopher Chambers from Georgetown University, will discuss with us the particular problems of minorities, of really marginal people in this situation, and also say something about the quality and quantity of media coverage. Our first guest is Bill Pomering, who is the president of the Air Fix companies, that's AIR, A-I-R, and then P-H-X. And Bill, tell us about your companies, or is it one company? Um, so thank you, Llewellyn, for having me uh, on the program. Uh, the Airfix companies is actually one company that is pursuing business in three different, what we call verticals, uh, healthcare, uh, commercial gyms and athletics, and food safety. Bill, your device, your box, how big is it? Uh, it's about the size of a desktop computer. And just sits on the floor or the wall? Uh, does it look somewhat like an old-fashioned air conditioner that fit in the window? But it doesn't need to be in the window, of course. It, do it doesn't need to be the win in the window. Um, it is essentially a self-contained unit. It can be either uh, portable, sitting on a counter or the floor, or it can be wall-mounted. And, and it sucks in the air, right? It pulls the air in the side. Uh, the air passes through a plasma chamber. Uh, and as the air goes through the plasma chamber, 100% um, of any airborne pathogens are oxidized. Um, they pass through a a corona of plasma, which is essentially charged electricity. Um, and that does the, the kill going through the plasma chamber. Uh, there are several other technologies that do something similar to that. Uh, ultraviolet devices, a technology called photocatalytic oxidation, uh, another type of technology called an ionizer. But where our technology is different, is that as the O2 molecules go through the plasma chamber, a portion of them are broken up into components. Um, all of the components but one have a very short half-life uh, and they stay within the device. The one uh, component of the uh, broken up oxygen molecules that's emitted into the treatment space is gas phase hydrogen peroxide. And uh, hydrogen peroxide is, is released in trace levels. Um, it's gas phase and not vaporized hydrogen peroxide, which is a respiratory irritant. Um, but, but it is also used, hydrogen peroxide atomized or, or as a mist is also itself used as a decontaminant, pumped it's into a, a room. It's very effective as a decontaminant. That hydrogen peroxide is vaporized and it's attached to a water molecule. And when you're using a device like that, people can't be in the room because it's a respiratory irritant and you have to cover up air vents and cover up smoke detectors. 
our hydrogen peroxide is in gas phase. So it's odorless, it's tasteless, um, and it gets distributed in the treatment space with a half-life that ranges into the hours. So as the gas phase hydrogen peroxide circulates through the treatment space, it starts um, uh, eliminating airborne pathogens, things like uh, mold spores or aerosolized viruses or bacteria. Uh, and so it essentially proactively cleans the air. As the bio burden in the treatment space goes down, again, where our technology is unique is it starts working on surfaces. And so any surface-based pathogens, anywhere where ambient air is touching it, uh, are reduced and eliminated. Bill, this sounds, let me interrupt you a minute. This yep. sounds like a magic bullet that will do wonders to get us together again, that will decontaminate restaurants, hospitals, etc. cetera. Uh, you said just now 100%. Even the ventilator masks, the famous N95s, only say they'll get 95%, hence the designation N95. Can you really guarantee that you'll get 100% of any viruses in the room out? Um, I, can't, I can't guarantee that because um, the 100% is what comes out of the unit, is 100% kill going through the unit. Um, in a active patient environment or active athlete environment, people come in all the time, um, bringing in outside air and bringing in um, any you know, viruses or bacteria that they have associated with their bodies. We have got um, testing in actual active patient environments and commercial fitness facilities and colleges showing typically a 90 to 95% reduction in airborne pathogens that we measure as CFUs, colony forming units, and over time, uh, a 95% reduction in surface pathogens. Now these units, they run continuously, they're plugged into the wall, they're electrically powered. Uh, I understand that when you move around air, the dynamics of it are not dissimilar from the dynamics of moving large quantities of water, say a swimming pool, etc., where you have to pump the water to get it to go somewhere. You have to stimulate the air. How do you stimulate the air to go to your machine to get cleaned? So we have a turbine that draws ambient air from in from the treatment space and releases it uh, from the unit. Um, typically, in any facility, the air moves around as a result of the HVAC systems, uh, but also people walking through hallways and entering doors will draft air behind them uh, into, into treatment rooms or pharmacies or whatever adjacent spaces there are. How confident are you that the COVID-19, the deadly virus which has brought the world to a standstill, will be destroyed in your application? Uh, so, you know, that's a great question. And um, whenever we describe what our technology does, um, we have a lot of skepticism um, from uh, audiences we, we approach. Um, we have used a, uh, a independent microbiologist out in California to run uh, lab tests on 30 
uh, common hospital or healthcare associated infections that includes bacteria, viruses, uh, and some protozoa. And with all of those HAI lab tests, we've ended up with a four log reduction approximately, which is 10,000 organisms to one within 30 minutes on three different types of surfaces. We recently got testing back on um, the, a, a, a genetically uh, matched uh, virus from the, uh, the, the COVID-19 disease is caused by the SARS-HOV-2 virus. Uh, we ran our testing on uh, the uh, human COV-229 E virus, which is a genetic match to the um, to the, the the one that's problematic right now, and we ended up with a 3.8 log reduction on these three surfaces: linoleum, plastic, and stainless steel within 30 minutes. So we're we're comfortable that with the genetic match, the fact that it's worked on all the viruses we've tested, and this one that is uh, the genetic match to the SARS. Uh, Bill, so how about the virus country. in the air? Uh, you've mentioned surfaces, but of course the air, which is what's cleaning the surface, is also clean. Uh, yes. Is there any difference in, in the amount of sanitation in the ambient air as opposed to on a surface that's received the air? So the answer to that is that um, the technology works continuously and proactively reducing airborneisms. Um, our assumption is that if the surfaces are being disinfected, then the air is as well. How many units do you have deployed in health clubs, locker rooms, hospitals, wherever? We have uh, approximately 150 units deployed, uh, and our current customers include military fitness facilities, commercial gyms, um, several Power Five conference uh, university football, wrestling, and hockey programs, and four hospital installations. Um, the hospital installations, were they before the current uh, crisis, or were they because of the crisis? Um, they, they were from before the current crisis. And uh, do you believe that most hospitals should install these units very fast in emergency rooms in, in, in the highly infected regions of the hospital. From a business standpoint, I, I think our technology should be everywhere. Um, from the standpoint of the alternatives available to hospitals and healthcare providers, um, none of the existing technologies have caught hold terms of UV devices or misters, our technology is different because it works continuously. And, you know, we think it protects both the workers as well as patients. So I, I, I would hope uh, from a business standpoint, but also from a public health standpoint that our technology um, gains wide acceptance. Where are the units manufactured and what is your maximum output of units, assuming that a lot of people want them fast? Uh, so our, we have a technical operations center in the Research Triangle area of North Carolina. Um, that's where we currently manufacture uh, in-house our uh, units. We uh, are 
engaged in contracting out to a contract manufacturer in the Midwest for production of the units. And we have uh, a, the first order is set to be delivered in uh, four to six weeks. Um, we have a capacity at that contract manufacturer of a thousand units a month, um, but have been assured that the, um, you know, the manufacturing can be scaled up if the need and the demand is there. What does a unit cost and what would it cost uh, when you're in full production? Will it be cheaper or about the same? Uh, the MSRP for one unit is $5,400. Uh, then the unit covers 15,000 square feet. Bill, is there anything you would like to say to the public and to those organizations that might become consumers of your product? Um, we, we expect to play a, a meaningful role in um, bringing the U.S. economy back back online uh, because our technology is going to provide uh, protection both to workers as we get back to business as well as assurances to customers. And how do interested parties contact you? Um, we're, we're here. We have a dial-in number on our website, and we're happy to take calls from any and all. Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Llewellyn. We go now to Christopher Chambers, Professor of Media Studies at Georgetown University in Washington. Hello, Christopher. Hello, Llewellyn. How are you? Well, I'm good. I want to ask you about media and also about the situation with minorities that you know something about, particularly how are the small minority groups, the isolated, those who are less integrated in society than most of us, how are they managing? The pressures must be terrible. Large families, often in small accommodations, lack of formal health care, and lack of formal education, which makes it harder to follow instructions from the government or health authorities. Well. Taking the uh, minority, uh, uh, the effect of, the, of this pandemic, uh, I've looked at situations here in Washington, D.C., Baltimore, to some extent, Philadelphia, uh, New York City. Um, there, there definitely is a, a dichotomy between what is going on in the mainstream and what is going on in that community. And you can cut that community up also into various, uh, you know, Latino nationalities, um, but, you know, let's take African-Americans first. Um, among middle-class um, educated African-Americans, it's the same ballgame as what you're seeing uh, nationwide. Although, um, you know, you do have that uh, less of a, of a cushion, less of a, uh, of, of, of a nest egg sort of a situation going on. But if you're looking at what is going on in the streets, um, you're looking at a population that at first did not believe, ironically, did not believe that this uh, pandemic was going to affect them. They thought this was something that was brought to the United States by uh, wealthy business travelers or tourists. Very quickly, it has disintegrated and, uh, and, and that sort of feeling evaporated uh, when the uh, uh, shelter in place, those kinds of orders have gone in. Um, you had people who uh, have to depend on small bodegas or carryouts and were crowding these things and very loud, very likely spreading the disease around. 
um, you have people who don't have, uh, who either don't have health care or on Medicaid um, that are crowding clinics and spreading this disease around. So uh, if you go over to uh, various uh, Latin immigrant side, uh, uh, there's been instances where people department do not want medical assistance, do not want to even be tested because they're afraid they're going to be picked up by ICE. And some of these people are American citizens, but still don't want to, to have that uh, hassle, if you will. So it's, 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 it's a real uh, 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 pot that's boiling I think that's going beneath the radar, and and I think it needs to be addressed very quickly because that kind of uh, infection from the bottom up is going to hit the top down, and we're going to have a a very bad crash in the middle unless somebody addresses this very quickly. That's a very good point. Also, it must be very hard for people who are naturally very social, as are many of the minority groups, including African Americans. and where you have very large families, often uh, confined in small spaces, often probably without a lot of resources of how to pass time. Is well, that it, it's interesting you should say that because a lot of people who are self-employed, let us say, in running barbershops or beauty parlors, those have had to close down. And those have had to close down um, even before some of these more draconian orders because People, uh, you know, a lot of these businesses are social uh, uh, centers, as you said. So you might have 20, 30 people in there, maybe five people are there to get their hair cut. People and being all alone or being isolated with their families is very antithetical to their normal way of living. Very much so. Very much so. And, you know, I I don't think you... Oh, go ahead. I want you to put your other hat on and tell me how do you think the media is covering this? Well, I... Llewellyn, I think that what we have here is, is uh, in terms of the media coverage, is a perfect storm of, of awfulness, because you have uh, a media that's not well versed in covering epidemiological uh, issues at all, especially something this uh, um, monumentous. But at the same time, it is monumentous, and it fits their business model, which is to devote. Um, you, you know, massive uh, amounts of, of very thin coverage to an event that they can milk. So you've got that perfect storm. You've got a, 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 a you know, a government that by all notions, you know, at some point really didn't really take this seriously. And now it's uh, has this foisted on them and must take it seriously, yet is, is struggling because there's a, di- a dichotomy there be- between their dogma uh, their philosophy of government and the reality uh, that, that, that they need to address. Uh, you have a serious responsibility on the media and, of course, on local government to do what it can to educate uh, people who are not sensitive to the complexity of this disease and the terrible uh, discipline that it is putting on the country and on communities. Exactly. This is not being done. It's It's... I think uh, the local, uh, if you're looking at television and terrestrial radio, those stage, those uh, outlets have totally uh, um, abdicated their responsibility and are and are and are basically pushing uh, the information onto the national uh, networks to provide that. And whereas they just will come on with the usual scare you at six o'clock sorts of things, where some where there's been an outbreak at the school, but not really 
drilling deep down, this is the one time where you need local media, local television affiliates, local terrestrial radio to provide that education, and they're not doing it. Well, as you know, local newspapers are in a parlous state financially. Uh, the other thing I think, and I've seen it before, I saw it in the energy crisis, I've seen it at different times. We have a generalized media, particularly at the, uh, shall I say, at the anchor level on the, in the networks, where everything is looked at through a political lens. We have specialists, and newspapers have specialists like medical reporters, etc. But because of the dominance of political news, especially at this time, it is all being looked at through a political lens. And I think that's very distorting. I also think that the, the we are in a time of, uh, of the politicization of the media. So if you look at some channels, you'll hear them say it's Obama's fault. And if you look at others, it's all it's all Trump's fault. But in, in fact, we have a, a, a national and an international crisis of biblical proportions, and it doesn't matter who is to blame. We have to now get on with repairing the damage. Well, uh, what you had said before about local newspapers, I think that's the one, the irony there is they are the most in trouble. But what I have observed is they are the most, uh, been the most adept uh, at, at, at drilling down, uh, looking at different types of communities, what their needs are, how the disease is affecting them. And, and they've been doing a fairly good job. But again, they're the ones in the most trouble. The well, television, the limits, radio, the et cetera, radio, haven't done radio, it. Radio and television is limited in its ability to drill down, whereas print is not. Uh, print has a much more depth by its very nature. Exactly. And... Uh, but radio and television depends on print to get its marching orders. If the print fails, radio and television starts chasing itself. What would you say if you had the editors of, um, say, the, the, the managing editor of the Washington Post, the managing editor of the Los Angeles Times, and a local newspaper editor, what would you say, go forth and do what? I would say go forth and and stop following your old business model because this is something totally different. This is something where you have to start educating people. Yes, you can you can try to make the politicians honest. Yes, you can you can challenge them, but that can't be the game. The challenge of the politician can't be the game. The 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 scaring people about roadblocks about people coming into the state can't be the game. What would you tell them to cover in the minority communities, these people who are so adversely affected and so ill-prepared for the effects? Well, it, you didn't see a lot of, of coverage, even from newspapers, on regular working people until, let's say, Amazon workers decided to go on strike or Whole Foods and others decided to go on strike. I think that they need to go and look at, at a first cut, the, post, the, the postal carriers, the people working in the stores and then move to the people who don't have jobs and, and basically interview them, look at how, you know, what they're dealing with, how their children uh, do not even have laptops to do remote learning from, and they're working from workbooks that have to be mailed to them. I don't know, let's say, for, in terms of uh, migrants, though, what's going to happen with that. I mean, a lot of people don't or would rather be out of sight, out of mind, but I think that, that, that the stories on how people are refusing health care 
refusing to be tested because they're afraid. Um, I think that, that that that's something that 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 could could fill some some ink on a page and and some time on a screen. If this goes on for a year or longer, we're going to have an extraordinary situation where we're going to have a year of uneducated people, fine in middle class families where. Uh, homeschooling is a reality where there are books and where the parents are able to teach. But in many of these homes, people are not qualified to teach their children. Or if they do teach them, they may teach them things that are really not correct. Uh, this seems to me like a terrible future problem when we have a generation which has this education hole in it. And generally, when you have education holes, they can't be filled. For example, if people haven't read when they're very young, it's a hole that goes with them all through their careers. They don't suddenly start reading at 45 years of age and make up for what they missed as teenagers. How are we going to address that? Any ideas? That, Llewellyn, is something that the policymakers need to get together on very quickly. I mean, and it's hitting on different levels. It's hitting on, on, on my level as well. I mean, what do we do at an elite university in terms of, 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 of remote learning when we have some people who can't even take labs and, do, and learn how to do uh, research to fill these jobs to find uh, cures or, or vaccines for these, for these uh, uh, viruses? You know, you have that situation right down to uh, minorities in the city or in rural areas who don't have any, uh, hardly any bandwidth or anything to deal with on, on, online and are dealing with workbooks and turning in these workbooks. And, and these, this is just busy work. It's not going to just be a hole. It's going to be a bottomless pit. And we're, and we're going to lose a, a, another generation to this. And, you know, the, the social effects are going to be dire. Uh, you know, in terms of violence, in terms of more poverty, et cetera, et cetera. So in terms of a solution, Llewellyn, though, I, 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 I'm throwing up my hands. I have to, you know, we, we have to basically hunker down and start thinking about this very carefully. In conclusion, what do you think will be the lasting effects? Will we be a kinder, gentler people for this, or will things have changed profoundly? Uh, or I haven't seen I haven't seen any indication politically that we're kinder we're getting kinder and gentler, but I think we're getting more uh, empathetic on some levels. People, you know, I, I think we're starting to see this, and that's the positive thing. I mean, on the other hand, Llewellyn, when the Black Death hit Europe, it took out a lot of the jerks and allowed the Renaissance to come. Um, maybe that'll happen too. I don't wish death on anybody, but. I think that it'll shake up a lot of the institutions uh, enough that, that we'll start to see a fresher view of things. I shall take a look at myself on the jerk meter and see where I live. <laughs> uh, I hope we can come back to you in the future to update on these great issues. Thank you so very much for coming on this broadcast. Thank you. Cheers. This is our program for today. We thank you for listening. Please take care. Please listen to the instructions. Stay six feet away from anyone you have to come in contact with. Cheers. Our program, White House Chronicle, is on offer as a podcast for you to enjoy. Full shows on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and all major audio platforms. Subscribe and take us with you in your pocket.